Welcome to the Faces podcast. We're a Christian and Muslim charity working to build resilience in faith communities against child sexual exploitation and other forms of harm. We'll be talking about what faith and interfaith work means to us and how we embed an inclusive and authentic approach throughout our work. Welcome to our podcast today. Um, I've got Sujil with me. Sujil is a trustee and has been involved with Faces from its early days. And it's fantastic to have you with me, Sujil. And Sujil, um, I always find all over my Facebook page or different social medias, he, he's always running somewhere. And and so, uh, Sujil, would you like to tell us a little bit? Uh, you you um, have done a lot of fundraising for things through your running and, and walks and connecting things. And I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Good morning, Nigel. Yes, of course, I'll talk about running. As you know, when we get on the topic of running, we can go on for a very long time. Um, running very much started, and I'm I'm missing Tony here because Tony's really on my side here. We start talking about running in the meetings, etc. But running started about for me about um, I think about six years ago, and um, I was with uh, uh, a few friends, and we joined the I think the first it was the first uh, Luton Food Bank Color Run. And it was a 5K or something like that. And so a few of our friends joined that. And we had an amazing time there, really enjoyed it. And um, at the end of it, for some reason, we thought, yeah, we can run a marathon, which is 26.2 miles, which is very, um, in terms of distance, the big difference between a 5K and a marathon. So we felt that, you know, um, quite high saying, yeah, we can do a marathon. And so a few of us signed up, about four of us signed up for the marathon to run for different charities. Um, and along the way, we started um, encouraging our friends and family to join with us. Uh, or it would have been quite a lonely journey to train on your own, uh, just a few of us. And so we signed up for different runs that were uh, in the UK, um, locally, and also abroad. Um, and so uh, that was the early beginning of what is now known as Luton Lions. And Luton Lions is more than a running club. It's um, it's a movement. And, and it was about pretty much six years ago or so. Um, you wouldn't see many people that look like me, in, particularly in Luton, running much. Um, and even the local uh, park run, there were very few people from our community um, that look like me, uh, from the Muslim community, running. Um so I think what we try to do is encourage people uh, to run with us. Uh, and that motivated us as well. And so now you have six years or so on, you have the Luton Park Run, which is um, a, a run that happens in the park all over the country and internationally, a 5K, um, and people can walk, jog, run, etc. cetera. Um, Luton has one of the probably the most diverse park runs in the country. Because one of the things we learned very early on is when people see you doing something, it uh, breaks down barriers, um, it normalizes things, um, people want to do it as well. And one of the things that we've learned is when we attach a cause to running or one of the challenges that we've done recently walks, um, then more people are willing to come out because they feel they're doing for something, that they're uh, actually their effort they're making towards um, they're going to be running a particular distance, whether it's 5K, 10K, half a marathon or a marathon, it's going to make a difference to the lives of others. But not only that, what running did was build a community 
Um, it brought people out that normally wouldn't connect with each other, and it created a sense of community um, around people's physical well-being, but also their mental well-being. Um, so they had people that they can talk to about things that were happening in their lives um, while they were running. It was having a chat and a run. It became a very social thing. And, and, and just recently, a couple of weeks ago, we had um, the school-to-school run. And the school-to-school run, it was phenomenal. We had a the school community come out, which were primarily teachers, head teachers, um, CEOs joined us. And that was all for Luton Food Bank. And it was about a message. You know, it was we'd done a ran a distance, walk jog, some people did, from one school and, and at the long, uh, along the way we went past other schools to our final school, which is about 10k, six miles. And some of the students joined us as well. And we had over 200 people join us, which is amazing. And the main thing there was to give a message of solidarity uh, about poverty has no boundaries. Um, and therefore, our compassion and our kindness has no boundaries as well. And in Luton, no one's going to go hungry, especially children. And that event itself, we raised about uh, nearly £7,000 now. That's one of them. And prior to that, we had yeah. the walk that you we spoke about once, didn't we? We had we've been doing these epic challenge walks, so people can walk as well mm. uh, from Luton all the way to the Turkish embassy. Um, and that was for the recent earthquakes in Turkey and Syria, which you know many people yeah. um, tragically lost their lives. Yeah. And we paid around sixteen thousand pounds or something like that on that one day. Yeah. Uh, they, they're great sums of money. And and I think the ability to tie together something as natural as running or walking into something as common to lots of different people in poverty and different things, and actually putting the fundraising with the exercise, both doing great good for people. Because <laughs> um, I think when you give, it does something to you. Yes, it, yes, it actually um, opens something up, and and the nicest people you meet are people who give, <laughs> uh, because they've they've got a generosity about them, and I think the combination of what you're doing into the community with running and all of this is very helpful. Uh, I don't know um, if you want to speak a little bit about poverty, because I think there's something um, about communities coming together around issues, and I know for faces we have come together around some issues mm. from various different backgrounds to tackle things. And um, Luton is an area of deprivation um, and, and hit some of the figures for the country nationally. Um, and I think just some of those issues you're mentioning with the running of coming together to help people in poverty, making sure people don't go hungry, those kind of things. I don't know if you want to say a little bit more about that. Yeah, um, yeah I can talk about talk a lot about that actually um um one of the best examples was during the pandemic um during lockdown and the government and the local authority were still trying to make sense of how to support communities um and individuals that are struggling with the cost of living crisis um with lockdown and self-isolating but the first ones out were our first were, our first, were, were the faith communities the first people out there were people from our faith communities our faith organizations 
um, coming together with community organizations saying what needs to be done. And in Luton, that's really been historically the case, really, in terms of when there's a challenge, when there's a difficulty, um, our faith communities are are there, uh, visible, present, and making a difference. So Luton, as you mentioned, there's, you know, uh, it's one of the most deprived, has some of the most deprived uh, wards or areas uh, in the country and has uh, one of the most poorest communities in the country as well, well, some of the most poorest communities in the country, particularly people from my background, Bangladeshi backgrounds, Pakistani backgrounds. Uh, but Luton is such a giving town. Um, and during that lockdown period, many organizations from the Muslim community, um, those are the community organizations uh, and faith organizations that I was working with, and outside of those communities, uh, came together to make a difference and gave very generously, very, very generously. Um, and it was an important message about what it means to be part of a community, even though um, we were a very poor community, it didn't mean that we didn't want to give and make a difference to people around us. Um, I was involved during that period uh, in the Curry Kitchen prior to that, and the Curry Kitchen is very much a, a joint initiative by Discovery Islam Luton and Community Interest um, Luton. And that's been going for a number of years, I think, uh, I think more than seven years or so now. And it's it's uh, something that happens every Friday consistently over the last seven or seven plus years. And it's about delivering uh, and distributing a hundred hot meals freshly cooked by one of our generous caterers here, Venue Central, a wedding hall. And they get a hot meal, a, a birani, um, <laughs> no, no soup, Nigel, uh, <laughs> birani, and a curry, um, and every week is a bit different. So 100 meals go, go, goes out every Friday. I think about 40,000 plus hot meals have been distributed. So that was already going on, and then lockdown happened. So how do we do this? So we started working with our with our partners, um, such as Luton Food Bank, ensuring hot meals were going to families that were self-isolating or already were in poverty uh, and will be further more... Um, Dramatically impacted uh, by uh, by by the lockdowns, really um, lockdowns that we went through. We went through a couple of lockdowns, didn't we? So we wanted to ensure those families were supported. So I would be delivering food um, to their homes. And one of the things that I'd always try to remember with, with the curry kitchen or, or the food support um, programs or aid that we did in Luton, and that was across various different organisations. Um, and Discover Islam was very much leading that as well, it was about how we need to ensure that we were delivering and supporting those families or those individuals with compassion and dignity. And always try to remember that if you're going outside somebody's home, um, and I won't say this for everybody, um, but a father, father opening the door and their children seeing their father or their mother taking a hand out, um, it's sometimes quite difficult for the father um, because you know they want to be seen as not taking out hand, taking handouts, um, and we want to be able to respect or preserve their dignity in any way possible. So at, at times, many times, we would leave the food outside the house, and, and, and that's a remi reminder for us all that when we are giving food, when we're helping those people, 
in need and, and, and they've got all sorts of reasons why they're in need that we ensure that we do in a, in a dignified and, and compassionate way um, to, to help them through that difficult time they're in, um, but also help them preserve their own sense of worth and, and their dignity because um, they'll be going through a lot. Yeah, and I think it's very, very hard. Um, I know from a, a Christian perspective, we look at um, the early um, beginnings in the Garden of Eden and so on. Man was created to work, and actually there's joy in work. It's not a result of sin. <laughs> it's it's actually a result of what we were created for, and there's great joy in that. But when you're working in poor jobs, you can be working every hour there is, never bringing home enough food or enough for the family. And also, I think very often in times of lockdown and so on, there were people who who weren't earning very much at all and without great savings to rely on and, and other things. But the dignity behind that is just beautiful to hear about because mm. that, that sense, especially for a man of a house um, who, who, who needs to provide for his family, yeah. finding they, they're not able to do that and having to rely on others is a very crushing thing. And and actually, to to see how you'd approached that in such a way to keep that um, sense of worth in there, and yeah. um, it, it's fantastic to hear. It's also about you know a sense of who we are as a community. Uh, for for somebody from my background who's, who's a Muslim, uh, that's also about um, living Islam. Uh, living according to what uh, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, taught us to. I mean, we are taught very much to feed those in need. And uh, we are we are we are reminded uh, by our faith that that you know um, that we're not complete as believers if our if we our stomachs are full and our neighbour goes hungry. And it reminds us about our social responsibility to others around us and our sense of compassion um, and having you know having empathy with others and realizing that we can't just look after ourselves we've got to look after those around us and that is part and parcel of living faithfully living um being living as a Muslim uh, living Islam whatever you may call it whatever term you may use to describe it this is how your faith manifests itself in terms of the values in action. Um, yeah. So it impacts those around you. You know, what's amazing is just uh, um, last week at the Curry Kitchen, the team was saying, are we going to have enough food? Because the demand has gone up so much. It's unbelievable. Um, so we, you've got, the profile has changed now Um to a lot of families coming and wanting the food because they're really desperate. Whereas before, families would shy away from that position because it'll expose them um, to people seeing who they are and the neighbours will talk and the children's friends might find out, etc. But people are so desperate, they don't care about that, they need the food. So they'll come and they'll wait after their school run um, for the food or they'll phone in. Now they're phoning in, so anybody turns up, they'll have to just wait and we've got to try to we have a very generous caterer that we try to do extra food. And the profile changes over the months, over the years as well, because we've got a, a massive, uh, I know you do a lot of work with the, the, the asylum and the refugee community. Uh, we've got a quite a big, large refugee community who are coming in and then going. 
um, but they end up turn up uh, they they often turn up in our town with nothing um, and again that's a reminder of our faith our faith teaches us um, about looking after those who are weak or they are poor or they are seeking refuge or or you know they are fleeing persecution whatever you know they're vulnerable and they're in need part and parcel of us living mindfully of God uh, or living as people who believe in uh, you know in the tenets of our faith is also about ensuring that those around us um are, are are safe and they are not going uh, hungry and they're looked after because um, yes we inculcate the faith within ourselves but it also it has to that faith inculcating in ourselves in short means that also it has to manifest around us yeah thanks and and i think um the faith communities all came together around COVID as well and I think you and I were on some of the same meetings on uh, teams and, and things yeah. like that, looking at um, the council and other authorities when they were very concerned about deaths. And I know you stepped up in a, in a way that was very, in my view, self-sacrificing of stepping up and, and helping into some of those arenas and even you know, risking your own vulnerabilities in that to help others. And I think that's something really ab admirable and maybe many people don't know about. I don't know if you want to share anything of that and maybe a little bit about uh, the tree planting that's come as a result of that. Thank you, Nigel. Um, and just, um, I want to say it, was just, it wasn't just me. There were many people in the community um, that stepped up. And um, I can talk about my experience in a and it just takes me back. I was just reflecting now, thinking about those memories. Actually, I was um, I was uh, one of the representatives that was um, kind of died again, or being part of, were, were part of two groups at that time. Was who was and many people don't know the managing excess death working group, um, yeah. and that group was set up with uh, with many uh, key um, service leads um, from the police all the way to the coroners, etc., to make sure that. Ensured that you know um, we didn't have a when we had that surge in number of deaths. I'm talking quite, you know, clinically really or technically that we we had the systems in place to be able to plant. Uh, sorry, we were able to um, bury our loved ones. Um, um, yeah, so we had bury our loved ones, our neighbours. Um, family and friends uh, without much um, delay. And then we had the, the COVID-19 Faith and Community Forum, uh, which we were constantly mo monitoring on a week-by-week -week basis what was going on and feeding in perspectives from the community. So those were things that were going on at that time. Um, and it was a very traumatic and difficult period. I was involved with the uh, funeral services. I was supporting two funeral services. Um, out there and um, then feeding in some of the things that were happening um, kind of on a strategic level as well, uh, back and forth. And, you know, what what I saw there, you know, it, 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 the distress, the, the trauma, um, it's it's really hard to describe. And I'm, I lost family members as well um, and friends. And my parents were very vulnerable as well. So um, I couldn't see them for months. 
So um, I knew when I had when I started doing this that um, I needed to take every uh, precaution uh, I could to actually limit um, any risk that might expose my own family. Um, um, and I had vulnerable members around me. And uh, one of the things that I saw again and again was very much, you know, loved ones not being able to be uh, with their family member, their father, their mother, their sister, their brother, etc. At the time of them passing, um, they couldn't be with them. And often many of them said goodbye to them in a very difficult way when the ambulance came and said nobody could come with us on the ambulance and therefore that was the last time they saw and being involved with the uh, funeral services within our faith um, when somebody passes away um, we have to give them a, a ritual washing or ritual bathing which is part cleansing the majority is a spiritual cleansing and often uh, myself and other volunteers um, would be the only ones that actually saw them uh, because the family members couldn't come um, to the even the washing because they were being they were self isolating. Um, many couldn't come because of the restrictions to the even the funeral prayer and the funeral prayers would happen at the graveyard, limited numbers. Um, so there was you know there was a lot of uh, pain and there was a lot of hurt there. And there was, a, there was a real sense of desperate grief. And, and, and I remember a lot of the times, you know, particularly when children with children or family members that lost uh, their, their parent, um, I would say to the children, that, you, know, you know, that I would remind them that they would see their loved one again, um, that the soul never dies. As a Muslim, we believe uh, our soul never dies. And this life is very much... Um, we're trans, you know, death is the doorway that we go through to transcend to our our eternal life. So this life is very um, temporal, and then uh, we are and transcending, trans, transitioning to our to the next life uh, through death, and the, that we'd be seeing our loved one. And often I have to say, would remind them that, and this was really difficult because they would feel guilty about not being be able to be with their loved one at the time of passing. Um, and you, can you imagine when the hospital calls you up and says, um, if there's a mother there who's there and, and um, they're telling the family that you've got to choose between if it's going to be the, the, uh, the husband or, or, um, or the child that's going to be there, you, one person can only be there at the time with them at a time with them um, just before they passed away. So it's really a, a real difficult decision. And I used to say, you know, I used to remind the children about, you know, the, that and the family that, that they didn't die alone because we believe uh, at the time of passing, at the time of passing that uh, angels are surrounding you. This the unseen, that you're surrounded by angels. And we know from our faith that God is with those who are sick, so so don't feel it's difficult one to uh, to to people to explain when they that in that uh, griefing situation don't feel that they died alone because they had the angels and while they were going through this difficulty of sickness um, that God was with them um, and I would remind them and the one thing happened you know I, you know uh, something happened where. Uh, uh, 
I thought, you know, that something needs to be done. I'm seeing this day in, day out. And um, one night I went to sleep and I woke up in the morning and I saw this dream. Um, and it was a, a good friend of mine making a list. And, um, and I said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm making a list of the people that have passed away. And I said, what for? And he said, to, we're going to plant trees. And I thought, I woke up and I thought, this is definitely a message. This is a message. And it might be because, you know, it's uh, when you're doing these funerals and you're seeing such grief and desperation, you're kind of, um, in a way, it's not blocking it. You're just trying to put it aside, but it, it, it comes comes out sometimes in different forms, you know, because you're trying to get on with the next day because it's endless because uh, you wake up in the morning, you see a message, you see messages of lots of people passing away and then you just get on and carry on. Um, and you, you kind of sometimes try to put it at the back of your mind. So when I, when I saw that, I thought this is definitely a message. So every time um, we were, you know, somebody lost a loved one, I used to try to give them some hope, some reassurance that we're going to, we're going to plant, plant a tree um, and planting a tree in our faith. And, and I say, and across faith and no faith is such a uh, an amazing thing to do in terms of um in terms of the blessing of a tree in the community and the environment um and a tree is a, a beautiful act of charity in our faith uh, that benefits the deceased but also it's uh, uh for for physically it's something uh, that would be there in, in memory of somebody and in and a way of coping with that loss because those family members that have lost that loved one will be able to come and nurture and help that tree grow. So it's it's helping them to bring some sort of closure uh, to their, their grieving and have some sort of uh, hope. So it's, it's a way of, it was a way of bringing our community together in our shared sense of grief and our hope for the future. And so far we've planted over 700 trees across our town. Uh, it wasn't easy initially, uh, but once... The idea came together. I reached out to my friends in the faith communities um, from uh, the churches, from Luton Council of Faith, um, from the mosques, uh, from community groups. And I said, look, this is something that we need to do as a community. And he brought our community together um, in many ways. Uh, And uh, every time we've just recently had the planting at Ridley Lane, um, and we planted an orchard. Mm-hmm. And it was beautiful. We had so many children and young people came. And and the school, their school teachers came with them because they were messaging uh, us and saying, I've got a young person here who wants to plant a tree for their loved one. I said, yes, that's, what's it, that's what it's for. So we had many young people there planting tree for, for their loved ones they had lost. And, and we did that together. We were helping each other, people from different backgrounds, different communities coming together. And, and it just makes us realize that we've got so much in common. Um, yeah. Then And then we, then divides us really. You know, we share the same pain. We share the same hope. You know, we can come together. Uh, if we can come together in, in, in pain, then we can come together in hope as well. Yeah. Um, which is and a beautiful it, message. Yeah. And I, th- and I think from what I've seen of, um, my involvement with Luton is that is just such a valuable commodity in, in Luton of people from different communities working together or, or owning an issue. And that cohesiveness is a massive protection in the community as well. 
and and actually is something that that I mean, it's not to say everyone always gets on well, it, but in general, there, there is an atmosphere that ties people together in how the town's grown up, and uh, people from you know fifty years ago are saying to me, "Oh, it, it was a great." It, it's always had this mix of people working together. And I just wondered if there's some more about Luton you'd like to say. I, you know, I realize coming out of the trees, you've got examples of that. Um, but anything that you'd like to say about Luton as a town and some of its strengths and some of its um, hopes and and um, things like that? Thanks, uh, Nigel. I think Luton is, is, a, is a very resilient place. And um, we've been through many challenges over the years, over the decades. And it's amazing that actually there is there is this un, unsaid thing that happens in Luton where whenever there's a challenge, whenever there's a difficulty, the communities come together. Um, and there is a real strong sense of solidarity across our faith communities. Um, and there's a sense of um, striving for compassion, you know, fairness and justice. Um, that goes across our communities. I often talk to my Christian friends about, you know, there's something very deeply common between us, that, that sense of justice and striving for justice. Um, and that's very deep-rooted in our faith and who we are. Um, so one, if one part of the community hurts, then the whole of the community hurts. Okay. And, 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 and that's a a good message uh, to give to our young people that are growing up um, in these times and sometimes it can be turbulent that actually when when people harm us or harm things that we love and dear to us what do we do we come together uh, and we strive together uh, and we stand together and there are many examples it's probably beyond the scope of this podcast to able to um, share them with you but the peace gardening is one of them you know we through a, a great tragedy a great difficulty where Luton we lost so many lives I think it's 700 plus disproportionately people from my community were more effective um, in terms of loss of life due to COVID-19 when that happens what do we do as a community we come together we're grieving together, but also what we can do is have hope together. And, and and as I said before, it makes us realize that there's so much we have in common. You know, it may not be a unity of opinion, but there's a unity of purpose there. Same with during the uh, the pandemic when people are struggling with food, our communities came together um, and, and realized that, you know, people who are serving and supporting people who are struggling or self-isolating, who are coming to the doorstep, or people they've never really engaged with. I'm talking about people from my community. But at the same time, just because I don't look like you, I might not uh, share the same faith as you or the culture as you in terms of where my family is from. It doesn't mean I don't have a sense of humanity, you know, uh, which is faith should make us better human beings, um, make us able to show the um, a true sense of what compassion 
and kindness means and striving for justice and fairness means. Yeah. Thank you, Sujal. And there's a, a lot we could go on to discuss. Uh, I know, um, but I, I, I've looked at Luton and the coming together that you mentioned there. And I think a lot of the pr problems faced by Luton are, are faced all over the, 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 the country, faced all over the world. But many of the solutions that are found in Luton are also solutions that can be found for other set settings and other situations. And so, you know, I just want to thank you for sharing and and sharing so much of yourself in this as well and your your heart. It comes across very clear. And I just hope for folks listening to this that there may be settings in your communities where you need to come together and and tackle issues together, um, using the differences and the and the different backgrounds to bring a great strength into some solutions. So uh, thank you very much, Sujal, and um, look forward to catching up again sometime. Thank you, Nigel.